Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. We have uh, some really, really uh, important things. America's Heroes Group Roundtable Boots on the Ground with uh, our partner, Victor Lagrune, has been uh, adding so much of a dimension to our veterans. And uh, our panelist, Victor Lagrune, is a U.S. Army intelligence analyst, 35 hotel veteran, and a director of Strategic Partnerships and Alliances, Diversity and Inclusion, Veterans Advisor, Greater Los Angeles Area. And he told me that if I go out there, he's not going to give me MREs. He's going to take me to a fancy restaurant uh, due to our past history, so I'm ready to go. Uh, (laughs) Today's discussion will be updates on Black Veterans Project. He's doing a great deal, uh, amount of work out there. Victor has uh, done many things in this field uh, in his time here in Chicago and now in uh, out. In, so he's doing it nationally. He's becoming a, a national icon for this work, and we have to be thankful that uh, we have a veteran who's dedicated not just to serving our country overseas in, in wartime, but also to serving our community back here at home. So, Victor, Victor, how are you? I'm good, brother. How are you? Okay, good, good. <laughs> I am good, so, so excited to hear about all these uh, project updates. I was just on the call, and I said I had to do a shout-out to my wife. Uh, it's her birthday today, so I had to make that uh, known and uh, love her, love her. And uh, 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 our Kagi, who is our you know, assessor right now, uh, said, oh, he said, you know, that's the one thing is that, you know, um, you know, Fritz Kagi said, you know, that keeps you out the doghouse, so I don't have to charge you taxes on a doghouse. I said, that's a really good thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so uh, go ahead, Victor. Tell us a lot about what you're doing, because you're doing some really interesting things. Yeah, so, you know, last week I had the honor to uh, submit what's called a, a statement of testimony to the House Veterans Affairs Committee. And that statement of testimony was really focused on what are the needs, concerns of facing African-American veterans across the country? And what I also wanted to incorporate in that testimony that is some of the challenges that face our service members as well, because you know, what I want to do is talk about the totality of the military family as opposed to just one element of it. So it's, it's interesting that sometimes we do get focused in, hyper-focused on veterans, but it's important that we remember we still have National Guard members in our communities who are part of the active component. We still have reservists within our communities who are still in that active component, right? They're still in the military, but they're still within our communities at home. And we need to recognize that they need a certain level of support as well, whether it comes from the federal government or from the state level. So as we start looking at our advocacy, I tend to focus in certain key areas. And one of those areas is what does veteran benefit utilization look like? In other words, how many of those veterans who have served and been discharged honorably are using the VA benefits, have access, equitable access to the benefits, and have also been appropriately educated on how to use those benefits, how to benefit from them. So if we go back and, for example, we look at World War II, right? When those black service members came back, many of them did not have access to educational benefits and homeowner benefits. 
Why is that important? Because you can build generational wealth through getting a college education as well as buying a home, building equity in that home, and then using that home for future benefits. For example, helping your children go to college, helping your children pass that property on to, to build that generational stability within your community, but also within your family. So that challenge didn't just stop after World War II or after Korean War. It also affected veterans after the Vietnam War. You know, my father was a Vietnam-era veteran, and when he came home, he said he went to the VA one time. It was so bad of an experience, he never went back again. And I always kind of thought about that, right? Because how bad should a service that you've earned and you, the benefit that you've earned be for you to utilize? How hard should it be for you to get continuity of care, quality of care? And you and I have talked about this from a healthcare perspective, but we can move on throughout the generations. I have a cousin who served in the Gulf War, first Gulf War back in the 90s. And I said to him, I said, you know, did you have a good time when you transitioned as far as accessing your benefits, getting educated? Do you understand what benefits are available to you? He said, man, I filled out something one time. I engaged the system. You know, they told me I qualified for this and I didn't qualify for that. And it didn't make sense because another guy in my unit who didn't look like me got a certain rating. And I did, you know, so you start seeing the inequities within the benefit structure, right? So that part falls on the VBA. But again, who do the doctors work for who evaluate us for disability? They don't work for us. They work for the VA. So they're always going to act on behalf of the VA, right? So far too many veterans of color, and we, we've actually had to um, complete a FOIA to get the information from the VA system and say, hey, across the country, what does this disparity look like between black veterans and our white counterparts, right? Okay, right. Who's got the higher ratings in what communities and what counties and how are they being evaluated? Because there's a, there's a wealth of evidence that demonstrates that there's a significant racial bias between who has what benefit ratings and who doesn't. So that means when David comes home from the military and if he doesn't get a favorable rating, now you have to take it upon yourself and use your personal resources to fight against the system, right? And as African-Americans, we've been fighting against systems since we got here. And we continue to have that same struggle. So what I wanted to do was lessen that burden on veterans. And part of that process was educating our legislators because once they're educated, they, cannot, they can no longer be in a place of deniability, right? right, right now right. I can hold you accountable to doing work on behalf of me, my community, my generation. I'm a post 9-11 veteran, so I expect for our veterans to come home and not have the challenges that previous generation have had, right? right? Vietnam vets fought so that we wouldn't have to have those same fights, but they fought about Agent Orange, and now we're fighting about burn pits. Right. And we're right. still being denied burn pit registry um, evidence, burn pit registry proof. I've had veterans tell me they told me I had to go out and find proof that I was in this area at this time and that the burn pits was this close to my tent or this close to my quarters. Wow. I'm like, well, how are you supposed to have that evidence? Right? Wow. How, so why does that fall on the veteran? And when right. the veteran gets sick, why does that burden fall on their families? So, you know, this isn't what we do in regular health care. No, no. Right? No. No. If there's a shooting down the street from your house, you don't have to go to Cook County and say, hey, you got to prove to me that you were near that shooting. Yeah, you and know, you that, that's a good me. point, Victor, because <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, in the workers' compensation realm, you know, they don't right. say if you lost your hearing in a 
uh, you know, in an uh, office or like in an industrial process, they don't say, well, how far were you from this? And it's like, you know, <laughs> they need to, they have to have evidence about, you know, was the OSHA log filled out? Did they, did they measure the hearing in that, you know, the, the uh, decibels right. in that region and all that? Yeah, yeah so that, that really is a good, good, excellent point you're making. And, you know, you have to send me the link for this, some of the data, because one of the callers I was speaking to earlier uh, was uh, Steve Seidman. And he does a lot of the disability claims and, you know, injury uh, claims. And we were talking about it earlier, and we were saying this is the kind of data that we need to have. And we didn't even know that existed, like you're saying right now, that, you know, this disparities data needs to be at the forefront. We need to say, you know, what is happening? Because I, I've gone to evaluations myself as a doc, and I know they didn't do the things that they should have done for the complaint I was talking to them about you know, the back exam or, and, you know, no exam at all. And they're not, they're back to me and working on a screen and a computer. And then, you know, oh, your time is up now. And I'm like, but you didn't talk to me about my back. Oh, well, just uh, maybe we'll give some physical therapy for it or something like that. And it's like, no, you're supposed to do a neurological exam. And then they turn around, what? You're a doc? I'm saying I'm a doctor. And you, you just blew the whole thing. You, this is malpractice. <laughs> and uh, and they say, well, I can do an exam. No, you can't. Not anymore. My time is up, and I don't want to be seeing you. So we we really have to, you know, start looking at this. So those people who don't know some of those intricacies about, you know, getting examined need to, um, you know, I, can, I don't even know where they're they're at right now and what they have to face for that. But go on, Victor. I just wanted to, you know, bring that that couple of points out. No, that's actually an excellent example, and I've referenced that story that you shared with me in my testimony because <laughs> you were fortunate because you are in the healthcare industry. Right. You're a physician, so you know what they should ask of you. The right. average veteran does not. That's right. Right? Yeah. So when I went in and I applied for my disability rating and I was evaluated, I had fractured my ankle at Fort Polk on a field problem, mm-hmm. and the, the doctor told me, well, we can't prove that this happened in the military because of your service. And I, was, I looked at him, and I said, what? What do you mean? He said, well, you know, it, it could have happened before the military, too. And I thought about that, right? And I was like, wow. So is this what you tell every veteran that comes in here? Or is it that you, what you tell veterans that look like me? Like, what does this look like? Right. Because right. I know what you're saying. The burden you're putting on me is actually on the VA. It's not on me. Right. I've got medical records in the, in the military. You need to get a hold of those records if you don't have them. You need to be doing a better evaluation schedule an MRI, look at my x-rays, it's all there, right? But again, how do we help these veterans advocate for themselves when they don't know how to advocate for themselves, right? That part falls on our legislators. So one of the things I've also looked at is how do we better engage the Black Caucus? Because it's important for the Congressional Black Caucus to understand, we don't want to just hear from you when you want my vote. That's right. I need you to engage your veterans in your communities, your constituents, when you don't need something for them, when they need something from you. Because those legislators are in a position to stand up and say, hey, I've got folks in my district who are not being rated the same as other districts. I have folks in my district who don't have access to entrepreneurship benefits that the VA offers. They don't have opportunities around banking that other organizations offer. And how do we make sure that there's equitable distribution of those benefits across the field. Like, black veterans aren't trying to take from white veterans. Black veterans are saying we want to be treated like everyone else. 
Right. right? Just, yeah, that's an equal playing field. Just, just fairly, equitably, and inclusively, right? That's right? It's not one or the other has benefits because the same thing happens to Latino veterans, mm-hmm. right? Our brown brothers suffer from some of the same issues. The same thing happens to our Native American veterans. Native American veterans return to the, the reservation sometimes, and, and the VA act like they never served. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? So, again, yeah, we have to think about advocacy that way. Right. Right? We got to start holding people accountable. We got we to get our legislators better engaged and better involved. We've been having some great conversations with Cook County. We need the state. We need the city to get on board mm-hmm. and really be vested in the veteran population because they haven't consistently. You know, when I vacated my role at the mayor's office, director of Veterans Affairs, mm-hmm. I was the first ever director of Veterans Affairs in the city. Mm-hmm. Right. The first mm-hmm. ever was a black person. Huh. And for the current mayor to look at that role and say, OK, great, we need to carry on that legacy. You know, Harold Washington actually sat in this building. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure our veterans are represented. It hasn't happened. Huh. Right? right. And then we see all of this dysfunction with the uh, Illinois Department of Veterans Affairs, veterans dying in nursing homes. They've gone through three different directors. You know, they can't get that right. Our veterans deserve better. But again, it's on us to hold people accountable when they want our vote. Yeah. If you know, you want my vote, what comes right. with that comes your responsibility. Yeah, as a legislator, you have a responsibility to be fully engaged. And, you know, if I went and job, got a job, right, and they signed me up for a job, and then, uh, you know, I showed up on a Friday two weeks later and said, where's my paycheck? But I hadn't shown up all week <laughs> for the last two weeks. <laughs> it's like <laughs> there's no paycheck. <laughs> yeah, out of here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so unless you're That's doing right. something, if you take on a job and we're paying you as taxpayers to hold that job, you should be held accountable. Right. Just like all of Absolutely. us are in our jobs every day. Absolutely, brother. Yeah. You know. I can think about conversations I had with Tammy Duckworth, for example. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, hey, ma'am, we're not doing enough for our female veterans. She stopped what she was doing. She wrote, she took notes. She said, what what is it exactly that's happening? Mm -hmm. Because she wanted to know, right? Right. And, you know, every every legislator has their ups and downs and good and bad sides and qualities. But what I respect is this. Mm -hmm. You asked me for my vote. I was willing to support you. Now support my community when we need it. Right, right. And she was responsive, right? To our I need more legislators to protect and preserve the legacy of our female service members. Ensure that they're getting the right level of treatment. Make sure that they're not being harassed when they go to the VA. Yeah. Right. Make sure that when people hear their complaints, that they're heard with the level of respect that they deserve. Because that's how we get better at serving our service members who served our country, right? Right. I wasn't drafted. Our nation said, hey, yes. we're going to war. We need people. And, and, right, I raised my hand. I took the oath. I put on the uniform, and I went forward and did good things. That's what they ask of us. But when we come back, our families are right to say, you need to protect and preserve this person now. Right? I saw the brother who was the major that ended up resigning from the Air Force. Why? Yeah. Because he, had, he was forced to conform to a level of racial bias that he couldn't take anymore. Yeah, so now when you make Walker. it too hard for us to serve, right. yes. what, is, what, what does the future of our country look like? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because when we do go to war, and we, we, we do that frequently, we go to the same communities asking the same people to put on the uniform. We go to black and brown communities. We go to inner cities. We go to rural communities. Right? The majority of the people coming from those places. And they put on the uniform, their families give them forward and say, hey, my son, my daughter, my husband, and wife is going to go forward and do what you need. 
But when they come back, make them whole. And we have to ensure that that's taking place. That's right. And, you know, I, I appreciate the fact that uh, mm-hmm. the new Congress is really interested in some of these issues. We've got some issues on the Senate side, right, because we've got to make do and figure out how we provide some level of restitution for those World War II vets mm-hmm. and the Korean War vets that were treated unfairly. We've got to do something. I think Clyburn has a, a great bill that he and Seth Moulton are putting forward to bring mm-hmm. some restitution to that issue. Um, to ensure that those families have access to those benefits. But, again, you know, I'm calling on our veterans, especially our black vets, to reach out. I don't care if it's an alderman or if it's a state representative. If they don't want to hear your concerns as a veteran, remember that on vote day. That's right. That's right. That's the bottom line. And and, and, and at your, your, your campaign when you're a legislator, don't be waving the American flag. If you if you're not respecting the American people and you're not expecting respecting the Constitution and the inequality and the dignity that you should be affording every person that's in this country, you know, don't even don't even lift it because those people who lost their blood overseas. I know, you know, Victor in the combat zone uh, when uh, when we were all over there, uh, we saw uh, service members dying, losing limbs so that you could get up and vote. And anyone who abridges that right, anyone who uh, goes against the people uh, within this country, uh, you, you need to. You need to, you're really becoming a domestic enemy for those people who are, who are truly wearing the uniform the right way. One hundred percent. You know, and I looked at what took place recently in Atlanta, yeah. right? When the governor chose to put in law that obstructed voting. Mm-hmm. I know all of those black veterans who live in the state of Georgia who are going to be affected by these rules. When you can choose to undermine people who have taken the oath to protect this nation and do something unconstitutional, That's right. people have to stand up and vote. People have to stand up, show up, and raise their hand. This is also why we need more veterans of color to become legislators. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm excited when I see young black veterans in Chicago say, hey, man, I'm going to run for this office, or I'm going to go out here and get on the school board, because that's vital. Right. Representate. That's why representation matters, because in an organization where you see people who care about patriotism and the Constitution and voting rights and and equity, that means that they're going to stand up for everybody. So then our Asian partners don't have to say, hey, we need help over here. We're being treated. Our Latinos don't have to say, hey, we're being harassed in our community, whether or not we're citizens. Right. They understand that they already have brothers and sisters who stand with them, stand for them. That's right. And then people who are signing these bills and signing these uh, this legislation never served and never never even thought about it and still waved the flag as though they were wearing a uniform at one point. And 100 percent. And and I I, really that's one of the things that makes me disgusted uh, when I see that. So it's sickening, man. Yeah, it really is, brother. Yeah. Um, But, you know, what I will say is this. I see more and more veterans every day getting involved. I see more and more veterans like. Even for me, from, from the standpoint of my being a public health professional, mm-hmm. I was able to have enough time with you and Eric Whitaker and <laughs> Terry Mason in Chicago back in you know 07 after I first came home that I started learning what real advocacy looked like, what it, what it meant to be a leader in the community, what it meant to be someone who stood up for our people, who stood up for all people, right? right? And you really kind of showed me and modeled that experience for me. And for that, I'll always be appreciative for leaders like you. Um, you know, 
our good friend Eli Williamson. Yes. He first met you, right? He met you downrange. Downrange. Yeah, he was he telling me, yeah, he was telling me about that experience in Iraq. And he was like, man, you know, Dr. Arnold's a good dude. You really should get to know him. He's a healthcare professional, but also he's a good mentor. And today we've got to be good mentors for those young veterans coming oh, back who want to leverage their skills, yeah. who want to benefit our community, who want to be leaders, but don't get the opportunity. Right. So we've got to make sure that organizations are hiring them, making sure that they can take care of their families. Right. Because that's vital as well. Then we can take care of the mental health piece. Um, you know, I'm excited to see how we can do some additional work with the uh, Cook County Veterans Court. Because oh, I think yes. there's some great opportunities yes. there, yes, yes. you know, to help those veterans get back on their feet, become more constructive members of the community. Um, I think there's great opportunity. We just got to seize the moment. Yeah, I'm telling you, Victor, you know, you and Eli and, you know, leave no veteran behind and all the works you've been doing with different, multiple different organizations. I am just so proud of that because it, it, it makes me uh, have faith back in, in our community and, and, and the future for it because we have uh, great champions like you stepping up to the plate and making sure things happen the right way. Um, we're running a little bit low on time, but I want you to, yes, you know, give us a, a good closeout. You know, uh, is there a place that people can go to find out more about these initiatives you're doing and to get in touch? So the first thing I tell people, go on YouTube because all of the congressional hearings, the Veterans Affairs Committee mm -hmm. hearings are on YouTube. So okay. they, they stream them live and then they post them on, on YouTube. So go and listen to what's being discussed. Look at who's at the table and who's not at the table. Mm -hmm. Reach out to your local legislators and say, hey, why aren't you speaking up about these issues affecting the veterans in our community? And, and at the same token, if there's veterans out there listening right now, I want you to reach out and thank WVON for giving us a platform because other radio stations could but don't. The VON does. They are a good partner. They are a good voice for the community. So well, I want to make sure people continue to support those folks who support us. And in closing, man, I just want to say this, um, you know, be engaged, be informed, and be involved because that's the best way for us to change how things impact us. And if you have a veteran in your family, in your community, engage them, listen to them, and then figure out how you can help them. Okay. Yeah, because you, 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 I know you and Eli always have my back and everything I do. So I want you to say, 100%. I want you to say, happy birthday, Sharon Johnson Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, ma'am, Mrs. Arnold, keep keep him out of the doghouse, okay? He's a good old soldier. You know, sometimes we we, we run a, we run a ride, but you got to forgive us sometimes. So take good care of him. He's a good dude. Okay. Thank you so much. That's, that's the best I can do you, brother. <laughs> that was a good, 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 uh, a good connection for me. I'm going to be sleeping happily at home tonight. Uh, <laughs> that's what I like to hear. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.